Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. We have become the source of authenticity and exactitude. Why? Because many of you have all identified our show as the guideposts for all truth seekers everywhere in the Southeast Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley. The Point is the home of factualism. Thanks to all of you tuning in today. We have an action-packed show, and we'll be moving very quickly at the speed of sound. We're going to provide an explanation to the unexplainable, and we're going to discuss and expose the media malpractice that occurs every day on the Pravda Propaganda Fake News Networks. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. In times of political upheaval, folks, is in turmoil, because we really do, and we will today, unpack the truth in a way that truly packs a punch. Well, we finally have it. We have our Kamala Harris-Joe Biden ticket. That's right, I'm putting Kamala Harris at the front of that ticket, because secretly that's their plan. Their plan is to have Kamala Harris as president, with Joe Biden probably stepping down, because six out of ten Americans, six out of ten likely voters, believe that Joe Biden will not even finish his first term. Okay, now that's pretty compelling when 60% of likely voters feel that way. So it's going to be a Kamala Harris-Joe Biden ticket for the Make China Great Again Democrats. Well, and, and you know, you have to ask, as a, as a bunch of us are asking, why Kamala? Well, folks, I feel this is sort of Joe Biden's political living will. If he were to pull off a political upset and win the presidency, he, he would step aside for the socialist Harris to take over. That's what I see. It's the logical end of it all. And, uh, you know, it just, I mean, I mean, keep in mind, Kamala Harris did not do well in the primary. She, she really didn't do well. She had a great kickoff on her event. I guess she had, a, I, I heard 20,000 people at her kickoff in Oakland, California, when she started off and kicked off her, her campaign. But she, after that, just couldn't draw anybody to her campaign. She barely draw two, three, four percent. I believe there was a poll that came out in early March that showed her at five percent of the Democrat uh, enthusiasm of, and, and, and support, if you will. You know, their, their only hope of victory is to convince voters who are concerned that Biden will drop into obscurity and drop out. Concern that Joe Biden maybe had, does have the onset of dementia or something going on in his head, that he won't finish his four years. So they're, they're hoping to give those voters who are concerned that he won't finish his four-year term, I guess, they're trying to give him some solace and some a wink and a nod in that direction by saying, don't worry, Kamala will finish his, his term. And I guess for voters excited with the possibility uh, that uh, maybe Kamala Harris is the, uh, you know, the intersectional president, if you will. I mean, I guess the intersectional vice president. She meets that, she meets that uh, criteria that Joe Biden laid out in the very beginning. You know, Joe Biden. And what's interesting on in all this, I want to point this out. Joe, there's, there's a few decisions that someone running for president or any real office is a few decisions that they make to kick off. And start off everything like, you know, when, when you run for an office, I don't care if it's for township supervisor or president of the United States, 
you're running your own campaign. So what happens is you're determining what your messaging is. And in cases of statewide races and federal races, you've got people working your campaign. So you're going to end up having to hire people to create a messaging program and platform, if you will, as well as where to go, schedulers, the whole bit. I mean, you're, you're hiring a campaign crew. And then, of course, your, uh, you know, your, 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 your messaging. All right. Well, Joe Biden, I should say Kamala Harris failed miserably at that because she kicked off her campaign with a bang and then quickly hired full-time staffers. And, I mean, she just ran out of money. She ran out of money. And by the time the Iowa caucus came around, she was broke. And quite frankly, she poorly, she ran her campaign very poorly. And she was, you know, she really didn't have any answers, policy answers to policy questions. But she didn't convince voters that she was genuine. I think a lot of it had to do with the flip-flopping on one thing to another. But anyway, Joe Biden made the decision to take Kamala Harris. And I want to point this out. Whenever you watch someone running for president, generally speaking, outside of a few example, out of a few instances, most in most cases, the the nominee ex- accepts and promotes a person for vice president who was not running for president in that campaign cycle because you don't want to have all that vetting and all those debates out there. You want someone that is pretty much a clean slate that you can, you know, maybe some legislative decisions, but somebody whom you can kind of dress up as, uh, you know, what the public wants to see. In this, in this case, they're needing someone that they can dress up as a moderate Well, Kamala Harris was in all these debates. She was in all of them. And as we're going to get into in the show here, she is a socialist and espoused the socialist ideas. And this is indefensible, folks. She cannot defend the indefensible. She can't defend against statements made in these debates. She's already said these things. So what's interesting is the media is out there trying to give her air cover. They're all saying she's a moderate. She's going to... You know, this was a great pick. She's going to, you know, the media, the the fake experts are declaring she's a great pick. She's going to bring in the suburban moms and blah, blah, blah. Folks, they're wish casting. They're not predicting their wish casting. They're trying to create a narrative. They're trying to develop the opinion of the listeners. They're trying to develop the opinion of the voters. They're trying to give them their opinion. And that's that's something very distinct. I don't want our listeners to miss. Kamala Harris defined herself and he picked her. Why? Because he made a horrible decision, Joe Biden, in the decision-making process. He consistently turns down one-way streets, dead-end roads. He consistently goes the wrong way and ends up on a dead end with his decisions. And Kamala Harris is one of them. You don't pick a vice presidential pick that you ran for president against, that's not generally a good idea. I mean, it's happened, but, you know, it's generally be- before all the debates take place. You don't have, you might have somebody that was in one or two or three debates, but you don't bring somebody out there when the mudslinging was fast and furious and a person that was in six or seven debates, as was Kamala Harris. So I don't want to miss that. He, he made a bad decision here. But I think he pigeonholed himself. He put himself 
into a, a box, okay? And he, he basically eliminated much of the population, and he made he said he was going to make an intersectional pick for vice president, and I think he limited himself to, to who he was going to pick, and because of that, he had to pick Kamala Harris. Uh, he really didn't have a lot of choice. I mean, he really didn't, and I think everybody kind of knew it. So this is the big wow that the media is trying to say is a big wow, but it isn't, okay? This is a, an expected decision. And again, the, the problem I'm seeing is that, again, she was on stage during almost all the debates, and she is on record with a whole lot of socialist policy support. And then, of course, you have another problem, because she was also conducting the Kavanaugh hearings. Remember, she was she's on the Senate Judiciary, so she was there with the Kavanaugh hearing. So this is going to rekindle the very unpopular, very ugly Kavanaugh hearings. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. She's also, well, I mean, again, she, she grossly mismanaged her campaign, ran out of money. And so these are things that say that she's a bad candidate for him to pick. But again, he had to pick somebody. But, you know, her being light on policy is not going to be good. You see, when she has to answer questions on policy and her stances, she's going to waffle. Okay, we can see this, but make no mistake, she did compare, and, and she said a lot in these debates. So what I'm going to bring out here now on Kamala Harris is a lot of what she said in the debates. All of this is words out of her mouth, and if you want to, I'm sure you can go to the internet and pull up all of the debates that were done last year and, and early this year, and you're going to see for yourself whenever she spoke, um, you know, what she said. But she compared ICE to the KKK. That's, 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 that was incredible. She compared immigration customs enforcement, okay, officers to the KKK. She stood with those to defund the police. She actually locked arms with the anarchists that were declaring we need to defund the police. Now, the only good news on that is when she was locking arms with the anarchists protesting to defund the police, they weren't exactly burning buildings at that point. Okay, when she was with them, they were on their good behavior. But make no mistake, she was standing with, with people who want to defund the police. She stood with them on the lines, on the protest lines. And again, you know, Americans are going to remember her attacks on Brett Kavanaugh. And I, let, let's get to that a little bit. Because during the Kavanaugh confirmation hearing, she clearly demonstrated her fifth-dimensional views on due process with regard to men accusing being accused of sexual assault. See, she, she stated, patently stated, that she supports prosecuting men on sexual assault claims, bringing cases to court without first compiling compelling evidence first. Now, she didn't say that, but how she said it was, she believes that the accusation alone is enough evidence for prosecuting someone for sexual assault. That is kind of a kind of a parable. It's kind of a parody of what she said, but that's that's pretty much what she said. Okay. She basically is saying that the accusation alone is enough. Now, this is what all the Me Too people were out there saying, and if you watch that Brett Kavanaugh hearing, you're going to see a whole lot of that. Okay. Well, she was out front with this. She was out front with this. And make no mistake, she believes in due process except for sexual assault claims. 
Again, situational ethics. And, you know, this is the stuff that is truly insane. This is the stuff that's scary insane. I mean, when you have somebody who, who, who is susceptible to situational ethics, you don't know what they are capable of doing. You really don't know because it's all about power and they'll do anything to contain it. But it's truly a nightmare that she would that she would make those those distinct points. And you can go back and look on how she said it and how exactly how the words came out of her mouth. But I think in in generality, okay, in generality, kind of a, a paraphrase of what she said is that accusations alone are enough for evidence in prosecuting someone for sexual assault. She believes the woman because the woman said it. And I'm going to tell you something. That was the big problem we had going through the Kavanaugh hearing. There was a big debate in the national stage on all of this. And I can tell you, people everywhere were completely frightened that they heard the Democrats going after Kavanaugh with Christine Blasey Ford. And, of course, they all saw Christine Blasey Ford, how she was prepared for that that interview process, how she was actually not just coached. She was obviously coached, but she was dressed for the occasion. She was wearing glasses for the occasion that would amplify her eyes. I mean, she was really made to look a certain way. And if you look, go to the, what you want to do is you want to go to pictures of Christine Blasey Ford be, you know, during the debate, I should say during the, the Kavanaugh hearings, if you will, and then look at pictures of her prior. She worked, I believe she worked for the Clinton campaign, Hillary Clinton campaign. So you're going to see photos of her, actual photos of her that look nothing like the picture of her when she's doing this hearing. The whole point was to make her look like she was going to cry at any moment. That was the whole point of it. But anyway, you need to go back and listen and watch Kamala Harris during those hearings because Kamala Harris supported all of that lynching of Kavanaugh. She supported the lynching of Kavanaugh. Don't miss that. Now, another thing that she said in the debates, make no mistake, I'm going to get back to what she said in the debates now. She supports decriminalizing border crossings. Okay, she stated that in debates, folks. She also stated that she wants to end private health care insurance. She stated that in the debates. Remember, she raised her hand when they asked the question, do you support Medicare for all? She raised her hand. Then they asked her in one of the early debates, do you support Medicare for illegal immigrants? And her hand went up along with Joe Biden's hand. Everybody raised their hand. I thought that was very distinct, and I don't want our listeners to miss that. Okay, because quite frankly, that's something they're going to try to back off of now. And and we on the point here on 1180 WFYL are going to hold her feet to the fire. We're going to hold we're going to hold Kamala Harris's feet to the fire on that and Joe Biden's feet to the fire on that because they raised their hand and stated one thing. And now they're trying to say they're stating something else. So we're going to ask the very distinct cross-examining question we're gonna we're gonna commit an act of journalism and we're gonna ask well which Kamala Harris was lying or which Kamala Harris was not being truthful which Joe Biden was lying which Joe Biden was not being truthful was it the Joe Biden then or was it the Joe Biden today was it the Kamala Harris then or was it Kamala Harris today which one does not 
want to support health care now for illegal immigrants when you categorically patently stated it a few months ago. She don't miss this, okay? She stated that that she is for amnesty for illegals. I think that's another very distinct point. She's for amnesty for illegal immigrants. She also supports unrestricted abortions during any point in the pregnancy. Again, that came up during the debates. She supports voting rights for felons. That came up in the debate. She supports lowering the voting age, I think the 16. That came up in the debates. She stated at the debates that she wants, she supports reparations. That's right, folks. And she also stated that uh, um, that she supports the Green New Deal. As a matter of fact, in the Senate, in the Senate, she was a co-sponsor of the Green New Deal. Now, the Green New Deal, folks, I want to pause on this for a moment. The Green New Deal is the religion of the end America left. That's what this is. This is their religion. The, the Green New Deal is a may look to me and you, <laughs> to logical thinking people that live in, in the land of reality. The Green New Deal will look like a high school newspaper, a high, a high school project, if you will. A high school paper designed to define effective, efficient energy as destroying our planet. So they want to basically emphasize climate change destroying our planet. They want to over-exaggerate a condition that they call now extreme weather. Used to call climate change. Now it's extreme weather, global warming, or whatever they want to call it. They want to, they want to continually hype on an over-exaggerated condition. And they're attempting to use environmentalism to deconstruct this capitalistic society we live in. So they're going to weaponize the the you know environment they're going to use environmentalism to deconstruct this country to end America they're going to they're going to weaponize the EPA okay that's what this is the green new deal weaponizes the EPA let me explain for our listeners here i'm going to break this down here very very distinctly energy is a significant component that has enabled this country to excel economically and surpass all others in the world. This is why all other countries want to push the climate change farce on us, but not on them. Because it will break our economic output, and it will help them surpass us. And as I've said before, the economies are the heartbeat. They're the they're the the, the lifeblood of a country. The economies of a nation enable a nation to not only pay for services for their people, but more importantly, or as importantly, they enable a nation to establish a defense force, a military, that no one ever wants to mess with. If you look back through all of civilization, every civilized society that had control during their part of their time in history. It was during that time that their economic output was stronger than anybody else's. And that is why they were able to sustain the military presence. Make no mistake about it. Destroy the economy, you destroy the, the capability of a country to create a military presence to protect its interests at home or abroad. But, I mean, we have a whole show we can spend on this, but I, I just want to 
basically bring in some highlights. Okay, so here are some highlights. According to the American Action Forum, the Green New Deal will cost almost $100 trillion over 10 years, about $93, $94 trillion or something like that. Now, this is an annual cost of half of our entire economic output every year for 10 years. That's an, I mean, that's an amazing, staggering cost. Oh, and the cost, and I'm going to give you a breakdown. I'm going to, and the American Economic, oh, I should say the American Action Forum breaks it down this way so that our listeners, as well as myself, as I read this, are able to really get our arms around how significant $100 trillion is over 10 years. The cost to each household, they broke it down by the cost of each household in this country for 10 years. And they did that because they defined how many households, how many working families, how many working people, and so forth. The median income, as well as the average income, and so forth. The cost to each household for the next 10 years would be $653,010. And $10. Now, you may be asking if you're making 60, 70, or 80,000 a year, or 30,000 a year, or 150,000 a year, or whatever it is you're making a year. How in blazes can you afford to pay $653,010 over 10 years? That breaks out to $65,300 plus a year. So if you're making $50,000 a year, obviously you can't pay it. If you're making $100,000 a year, it's going to take 65% of it. If you're making $200,000 a year, it's going to take about 33% of it. Make a long story short on this, it's basically going to take nearly every dollar every American earns to pay for this. Well, obviously, it's going to bankrupt the country, folks, so let's not miss that. I guess the reason the American Action Forum broke it down this way is so that they could spell it out very elementary style so we all can see that this will break the back of the economy because we cannot sustain this. We cannot afford this. Can't. Can't afford it. Folks, they want to outlaw effective, efficient fuels. They want to outlaw cars. They want to outlaw planes. They want to retrofit all buildings with new windows and solar panels. Again, the, this is what the cost is. They're proposing zero emissions. Now, Joe Biden actually stated that he's proposing the zero emissions by, I think it was the year 2035. I think I saw that. I mean, they want to immediately get us back into the Paris Accord. Immediately. They want to re-jumpstart that thing. Again, but they don't want Russia and China in that because that's going to handicap their, their economies. <laughs> so they want us in there to handicap our economy. Folks, this means energy being so expensive that it'll, it, it'll raise the cost of everything we know. From a, from a bottle of water to a gallon of gas to an automobile to a house, to a hamburger, okay, to a haircut, to a shirt and a pair of pants, to a pair of shoes, to a lottery ticket, to a pack of cigarettes, to a bottle of milk. I mean, groceries, I mean, hardware goods, I mean, anything. It's going to raise the cost of everything. It'll raise the cost of everything to Americans. Not to mention the fact that gas is going to sell for nearly five bucks a gallon. 
Now, I remember Barack Hussein Obama back in 2009 said we need to, as a country, get used to $4 a gallon gas prices. Now, 2008 was the last time we had an election where we were uh, able to bring in a socialist under the guise of a, uh, I want to say under the guise of a, uh, you know, a, a moderate. Okay, Barack Hussein Obama went in under the under the under the radar as a moderate. Well, he's not a moderate. He wasn't a moderate <clears throat> when he got us into these these environmental decisions. When he got us into it, they started raising the price of gas everywhere, and I can remember gas prices jumping to like four change a gallon, four thirty or something, four ten. I remember seeing it, and I remember Barack Hussein Obama saying, "Folks." Get used to it. Get used to $4 a gallon gas prices. I remember. Remember him saying it. Well, <clears throat> getting back to what Kamala Harris talked about in the debates, I just want to bring that out on the Green New Deal. And again, there's a whole show we can do on that. And we'll spend time on the Green New Deal here on another show. But anyway, getting back to what she's talking about, the Green New Deal is a, is a whole clump of bad ideas rolled into one. And it's just horrible, horrible, horrible for our economy. But what else does she support? Okay, again, her goal in phasing out the middle class, the Green New Deal is one component. Another one is the Equality Act. Now, what's interesting is it sounds good on the surface. But what is the Equality Act? What is it? This is where laws are created to punish churches, punish religious organizations, punish universities that don't go along with certain sin, if you will, certain human actions, if you will, whatever, and they call it out as wrong in their lessons and in their preaching. Their goal with this is to muzzle free speech and eliminate religious freedom. That's their goal. Make no mistake. So when they bring in the Equality Act, do your homework on that, folks. I just gave you a, a basically a 5,000-foot flyover, but it's all bad for, for people of faith, and it's certainly all bad for free speech, okay? It, it even goes beyond the free speech zones. It goes down to saying, we're going to muzzle you completely. I mean, and, you know, I mean, it goes right down to they can sue you, things like that, or, or even worse, go to jail. But now Kamala Harris also supports defunding ICE and open borders. These are things she stated. She stated this in the debates. And as I stated earlier, she she marched arm in arm with these protesters, I should say these anarchists that were pretending to be protesters because there was no there was no there was no uh, nothing bad going on when they were with her. But they were marching to defund the police, and that was there, and the signs were there, and she was there locking arms with them. She also fa she also supported favored nation status for China. I think that's very distinct. Because as I stated before, favored nation status for China makes it so that China will never have to comply with these environmental rules that they want to muzzle on us. Which means China will be free to run rampant to run roughshod, if you will, not run, but rough, run roughshod through the, you know, through the world with their economic machine, basically, and, and, and surpass us and the rest of the world and then be able to sustain themselves militarily 
better than anybody else. That's the goal of all of this. That's the goal of this. See, when 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 Trump says they want to end America, that's what he's talking about. You see, a China that's that's a superpower where America isn't a superpower any longer means that America has now ended as we know it. Because now we're subjected to countries like China trying to influence us. What gives us all the influence we have is that economically we make up one-third of the entire planet's GDP. I mean, when you have that kind of economic power, you have a lot of power around the world, a lot of leverage, a lot of power you can leverage. You know, China wants to be that. That's part of their 100-year plan to take over. I believe the Chinese New Year, I believe the Chinese, on the Chinese calendar, we're in year 9,418 or something like that. They have a plan to take over the world. That's what they have. I mean, it goes down to the island. Favored nation status is one thing, but they also turn their back. I mean, Obama and Biden turned their back on China. They just let China build these phony islands in the South China Sea to change its boundaries, its country's boundaries, so they can claim other areas, parts of the South China Sea and the waterways as parts of China, sovereign to China. So they wanted to take commercial waterways and international waters and make them Chinese waters. And we let them do it. I mean, our, our country did. Barack Hussein Obama and Joe Biden let that happen, just like they let Russia take Crimea, walk in there on a long weekend. They let them do it. Just like they did with the Ukraine when they let Russia go into the Ukraine. As Ukraine was pleading for arms, pleading for weapons, Obama and Biden sent them blankets. I mean, they literally subjected the Ukraine to the Russian invasion. And I, I tell you, I, I'm blown away by all of this. The media is not holding them accountable to this. There's nobody talking about this at all. No, you're you're not hearing any of this. I mean, this is the thing that really kind of strikes me. I mean, we're not hearing any of this. What we're hearing, questions being asked of Joe Biden is, why are you having press meetings in Delaware? That's a very hard question for Joe Biden to answer. Okay, or what is it that voters will be voting for in you, Mr. Vice President? I mean, these are the fluff, fluffy softball questions he's getting. He's not getting questions as to what can you tell us about what happened in, with Russia and Ukraine? <clears throat> How is it that we let Russia take over Crimea on a long weekend and get a foothold in, in the back end of the Ukraine? And while they're pleading for, for offensive weapons, why didn't you why did you send them blankets instead? What's going on here? And why did you give China favor nation status and how is that affecting the world today and how will it affect the world going forward? You know, and how will America first policies affect the world going forward? These are questions they should be asking Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, but they're not. Getting back to the debates, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden both supported sanctuary cities. They both do. They both support the taxpayer paying off student loan debt. That's another distinct point. They both support stacking the Supreme Court and actually discussed how they would go about it. 
And again, where is the media on these questions? They're just letting them go. I mean, these are very, very, um, I want to say very crazy ideas and notions. These, these policies, if enacted, will present an amazing shift in this country. I mean, it'll present all kinds of very, very incredible changes to this nation. Significant changes to our public policy, but also the way laws are written and what laws are written and the way business is conducted and the way people live their lives. All of these policies I'm talking about here have a direct, huge, significant impact on the American people. And all the questions they're asking Joe Biden in their pressing briefings, if you will, are questions that have no impact at all on the American people or hardly, or hardly any impact at all. I mean, when they ask them, should sports continue to be open for business? Obviously, there's an impact to the American people somewhere. Or do women have a fair chance of success? That's another hard question he got. But all, all of this really is a giant setup and build up so he can build credibility with his leftist socialist base. And by giving him softball questions like, you know, should sports continue to open or should schools reopen or, or whatever, by, by asking him by, by asking him general questions like that, they're giving him they're trying to give him credibility with the middle class and the suburban moms. That's what they're trying to do. But what's happening in reality when they don't ask him about, well, you know, both he and Kamala both support eliminating the Electoral College without debate. Well, they both they both talked about doing that in the debates. Now, my whole point comes back to is the media is not revealing this. I mean, you're hearing it here on WFYL on 1180 on my show here, the point. But you're not getting this anywhere else. Now, she also supports gun confiscation plans by the far left. I mean, she just does. They talked about it. They all bragged about how they would go about confiscating guns and how they would make owning guns very difficult. They all did. I mean, she supports universal basic income. I mean, basically, that's paying people for not working. Now, what's interesting is she talks about raising the minimum wage. I mean, she says, we have to have a universal basic income. That's like a raising minimum wage. So I want to say, and what she should be asked, if I was a reporter asking questions, I would say, uh, Senator Harris or, or Senator Biden, Vice President Biden, do you believe in a universal basic ability in the American people? Do you believe in a universal basic initiative in the American people? Do you believe in universal basic hard work ethic in the American people? Do you believe in universal basic knowledge? You see, all those components, knowledge, initiative, work ethic, innovation, all those are components of people that make more money than others that don't have those elements in their character. So when you bring that to the table to a company, that's likely you're going to make more than those that bring less of that to the table. Well, a universal basic income basically 
is taking people who don't have any basic abilities, any basic innovation skills or, or, or incentives, or any, any kind of hard work ethic at all, or any commitment and dedication to the company. They lack all of that. But they're going to pay them X amount of money, and that's the bare, believe me when I tell you, this is the bare bones minimum to exist in life. That's universal basic income. It's giving somebody the bare bones minimum to exist. Basically, money for not working, and they're going to take it from those that achieve and have money, have work, and basically have. They're going to take it from those, tax them more heavily, and give it to those that don't want to work or when they do want to work, they, they don't like being there. They don't apply themselves. They don't give themselves a real strong effort to the job. You see, that's what universal basic income is. And yet the media should be breaking this down as I just basically brought it, broke it down. I would love to have that discussion with Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. I would love to have them explain how universal basic income is a good thing. I had this kind of a roundabout discussion on minimum wage with a uh, with a uh, poll worker, a Berks County Democrat Committee poll worker at one of the polls when I was working uh, a couple of years ago. And he said, don't you believe in minimum wage or increase in minimum wage? No, don't you think that's good? And I said to him, the same kind of basic answer I just gave here is, you know, how is minimum wage a goal since when did it ever become a goal yeah you know minimum wage is poverty it's bare bones existence even at the 15 dollar an hour they want it to be or 20 dollar an hour even at 20 bucks an hour you're poverty i mean not you're like poverty level one or maybe prosperity level one i mean you're barely into prosperity at 20 dollars an hour i mean it's just barely i mean you're 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 at 40 hours a week, you know, you, you might be making 30 grand a year there. I mean, that's about it. I mean, this is what we're talking about here. I, I don't want to miss that. I think $15 an hour is poverty. It is poverty. It's, it is. And, and it, it just, I mean, when you take it down and you multiply it out, it's poverty. I mean, people can't live on that. You can barely live on 20. I mean, you can if you live, you know, very modestly, you can. But but 20 is even difficult. So their goal is poverty. And, and again, I don't want to miss that. So we need to be having that discussion with them. Another one is the, again, they support the Accountable Capitalism Act. That's the ACA. The Accountable Capitalism Act. Now, you don't hear the guy, you don't hear anybody in the press talking about this, but you're going to hear it right here on AM Radio 1180 WFYL on the point. And let me unpack that for you. The ACA, or the Accountable Capitalism Act, demands the government has a say in the makeup of company boards. They, they can determine board members. Okay? Who's on the board? They can, they can require certain people. They can require anything. Folks, this attacks profits. This attacks dividends. This attacks the 401ks and the pension plans. Large companies would need a federal charter, folks. This would limit the size and scope of business. And let me help you here. 
when you limit the size and scope of business, you're limiting the pay potential output or the potential pay output of that business to everyone that works there. You see, folks, profit is the power to serve. Profit gives a company power to pay good salaries. Profit gives a company power to serve. Less profit means less pay. Period. They support that. And as I talked to you about earlier with the Kavanaugh hearings, they support an intersectional approach to law enforcement and judicial practice. That's the Kavanaugh hearings. You know, they believe the woman's accusations and prosecute men accused of sexual assault without first validating whether there's a real case exists. You know, the job of a district attorney is to do that. No case ever goes to court unless a district attorney validates that the case is actually substantive enough to go. Every district attorney, and she was a district attorney, I believe, in San Francisco, uh, every district attorney um, has to bring cases forward. She prosecuted, I believe I heard a number, 1,500 cases involving marijuana users. And some of these people were second and third time offenders, so they went to jail for a long time. She prosecuted people for smoking marijuana, in essence. Sent them off to jail. Some of them went to jail for a long time. She also prosecuted parents of children that were cutting school. That's right, folks. Don't miss it. As a district attorney and attorney general, she did that. As attorney general, she did that. I mean, so this is what we're talking about. She's very radical here. Very radical. But a district attorney has to bring the case together. She was a horrible district attorney. She was strong on some things and very weak on some other things. Her inconsistency showed that she went more with situational ethics she pursued cases that were interesting to her that she wanted to go after, and she did not pursue other cases that did not have the same impact to her situational ethic psychology, her, her mindset, psychological mindset. Well, folks, I just broke down a whole lot of stuff that she supported out of the, you know, right out of the gates in those debates that she stated, words out of her mouth that she stated that she supported during these debates. So she put this out there. She put it out there that she was in favor of all of this. But the Pravda propaganda media is at work, hard at work, with their malpractice machine in full swing. And they're spinning the Democrat lies, calling her a moderate. And again, it's a blatant lie. Blatant lie. But the reason this isn't going to have any, 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 and I want to bring this up, the reason this is not going to have the same impact that it usually had See, normally the media can define candidates and the media is able to get away with this. The problem they're up against here is that the Trump, the Trump team, tr Donald Trump has a social media connection unlike anybody who ever had social media connections ever had. He's one of the leaders in Facebook and Twitter followers of the entire world. I mean, there are people with more, but certainly um, of political leaders, he's got more than anybody. And I believe he's got something like 70 or 80 million social media followers. He, he's got tens of millions of them. So what's making it difficult, and of course, he knows how to bring people to it because he makes Twitter statements, right? He puts it out there, of course, because the media is so 
quick to want to make him look bad. They throw it out there and people find out that he tweeted something. They go, I'm going to sign on to his Twitter page. I want to find out what this is all about. Or I want to sign on to his Facebook page. I want to see what he's all about. So he, he is very cleverly bringing interested parties to his campaign. Very, very compelling. I think the media falls into it because they're so out there. And, and you know, I mean, maybe, maybe they're listening to my show here and they're going to figure it out and maybe not bring it up, but they probably won't listen to my show. Certainly they won't do that. They won't fail to bring it out. They believe that they're hurting Trump. They hate Trump so much they have to call him out every time he's, he says something on Twitter that they want to report. So in normal situations, they could promote Kamala Harris and Joe Biden as moderates. The problem they're going to have is both of these people spoke very eloquently and very saliently and pointedly in their debates as to what they were and what they supported. And as I said, I broke all that down. So that's it's going to be hard or impossible for them to, to separate themselves from that reality. They are not going to be able to separate themselves from what they said. They could if they didn't have a social media apparatus like Donald Trump does. If, if, if it wasn't for Donald Trump, it was like Willard Romney running for president. Willard Romney wouldn't know what to do with it because he didn't have a social media following like Donald Trump does. So Willard Romney would not be able to, to overcome this push to make them look like moderates. I was listening to one commentator on uh, Wednesday morning when they announced, when, when Biden made the announcement of Kamala Harris uh, being his running mate, or, you know, when, when he when he selected her, this commentator said, it's going to be very difficult for Donald Trump to campaign against this because the media is all out in front claiming she's a moderate. Now, I didn't hear anybody on this talk show, I didn't hear anybody make the comment that I've just made to you that Donald Trump will be able to pull this off and why he'll be able to pull this off. But you're hearing it right here on The Point. I'm giving you a perspective. You're really not going to get it a whole lot of places. That's why I do the show. So the perspective I'm trying to give you here is that Donald Trump will be able to overcome it because he is God-touched, as Samson was God-touched. Donald Trump is able, with this, with this social media apparatus and the power he has, to call out these people for what they said and they claim to be in their debates. He's not going to let him get away with it. And so the media is going to have to give it some attention. They're going to have to because he's going to call them out for it. They're going to be asked questions. There's going to be a stray question coming through, and they're going to be asking these questions. Of course, Trump will call them out every chance he gets. And we already know about 55% of the public currently does not believe what, what the media comes out with anymore anyway. And we also know as well that Fox News is no longer the number one leading news channel, no longer the number one leading cable news channel. No, they're, they're now the leading channel on all of television. Fox News is the most watched television channel on all TV. Now, that is very distinct here, folks, and you can believe that the points that that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris both claimed that they were supportive of in their debates. All those points will be out in the media on Fox News. They'll also be on my show, <laughs> but other shows as well. There'll be other talk show hosts that'll be putting them out there. You're going to see, <clears throat> we're going to be calling these people out 
for what they claimed it to be during their primary process, and we're not going to let the fake news redefine them with some phony lie. That's how these people have been elected in the past. Folks, those days are over. Saul Lewinsky did not foresee the social media phenomenon with the internet. I mean, historically, those that bought ink by the barrel were able to define anyone. So it was not uncommon for a local newspaper to eat a local man, local man eaten by newspaper. It was not uncommon for that to happen in years prior because there was no internet. There was no other source of news. Today, it's different. And that is delicious. And that's the point. And because Donald Trump is our standard bearer, he is the best fighter at all of this. He's the best at fighting all of this. No one's better than him at fighting lying media, fake journalists. He defeated the tabloids in the 80s, for those that are old enough to remember, folks. He defeated the tabloids. Anyone who can beat the tabloids can defeat these fake journalists. I'm telling you, he can do it. And with the social media and the internet the way it is, he will be very successful here. Because make no mistake, this is truly the Coney Island shell game, double game, that the Democrats are trying to play with the support of the Pravda propaganda networks. I mean, nod, nod, wink, wink to the socialist end of the Democrat Party, the End America group. You know, and then they're going to give the the chameleon-type discussion points to the suburban moms. They're going to be telling these suburban moms that we support law and order, but they're going to do the nod, nod, wink, wink to the socialists, and don't worry, we support ending the defunding the police. Normally, the media could get them away with that. Normally, they could, they could escape that, normally. But they're not going to be able to pull it off now. They're just not. Because Donald Trump won't let him get away with it. Won't let her get away with it. I mean, they can't run the smokescreen with Trump with all his apparatus out front. The 50, 60, 70 million followers on Twitter, the the nearly 80 million total followers with social media that he has. There's no way they're going to be able to overcome that. You know, and, and, and he gets he's getting more every day. I mean, the registered voter counts are increasing in states. Republicans are adding registration numbers that Democrats aren't. But what they do in, in the state of Pennsylvania, for instance, is they throw out a total number of, of state registered voters. and They say, oh, yeah, the Democrats still outnumber Republicans by like 700,000. But what they fail to mention is, is nearly a half a million of those voters, nearly a half a million of them are completely inactive voters. In other words, they haven't voted in the last five or 10 elections. Why? Because they've either passed away or they've moved. They don't vote. But they're still on the books, and so they always throw these fake numbers out to try to make it look like, well, whatever, it's, it's something that it isn't. The fact is we have about 7 million, just about 7 million actual voters in this state that, that vote, that have voted at some point in the last four elections, last four or five elections. So that's about what we can best assure that we have, and based on those numbers, uh, the Republicans have closed the the gap, if you will, 
of uh, the registration gap in this state down to, I think, about 300,000 based on the registration numbers of active voters. Not uh, when you when you back out the completely inactive voters, which are probably needing to be purged out of the voting system in the state, that number would come down tremendously. But anyway, I'm not using the skewed numbers. I'm going to basically use real numbers and I'm going to try to estimate it based upon what turns out and what's voted. In a state of 11.7 million people that has about 10 million possible eligible voters. You know, you're just not going to have 85% of that state registered to vote. It just isn't going to be, that's not possible. So, I mean, that's my point. It's just not realistic. Realistic is that even with the motor voter that we have, you're looking like maybe 65 or 70% that are registered to vote. That's about what you're looking at. And based on 10.3, 10.4 million possible voters, you're looking at about 7 million, as I said. So anyway, that's how I get my numbers, just for those that are interested. But Trump will commit and he will exact political jujitsu on these Democrats. He's going to not let them get away with this. And his, uh, you know, his executive orders that he just initiated are political genius. I mean, quite frankly, he just kicked in his executive orders. I mean, uh, you know, to basically end the stalemate with the Democrats. And to sum that up very quickly, that's $400 per week in unemployment benefits, a student loan relief extension eviction protections, but the payroll tax holiday was something that I think was very exciting. That's for anyone earning less than $100,000 per year, and he's going to make it retroactive to August 1st. I think that's very interesting. He's going to run that through the end of the year. And I think what's really compelling is the Democrat leadership is out front saying, well, uh, you know, he can't do this. This is wrong. This is, as they called it, this is very paltry. (laughs) Well, folks, I don't think a 7.5% pay raise is paltry, okay? And I think these people are so out of touch if they believe that. I think that was political genius on Trump to do it. It truly was. And I'd like to see anyone on the Democrat side try challenging this in the courts because who wants to take away money from a suffering population? I don't know how they would how they would survive this. I think I think the Harris, the, the Kamala Harris, Joe Biden ticket. I think we'll probably come out and say that Trump shouldn't have done this executive order. It was illegal and blah, blah, blah. And let them let them protest too much as well with Pelosi and and Schumer and try to say that a seven and a half percent pay raise for every American under making under one hundred thousand dollars is paltry. Let them say that. Let them say it to the public as someone that's. You know, that's that's thousands of dollars a year. Let them say to that person, yeah, yeah, it's paltry. We're going to take that away. <laughs> we're going to and we're going to do some bailouts for the uh, for the post office. or we're going to do some bailouts for the teachers unions or whatever. We're going to support the bailouts for the states, the poorly run states. We want to give bailouts to the poorly run Democrat states and poorly run Democrat cities because they can't sustain their social programs. Because the covid shutdown that they have that they have enacted complete economic shutdowns on in these states. They have deliberately sabotaged their own economies by, by, by just not reopening their economies quick enough, and the tax money did not come in. And so they don't have the bailouts that they need to have. They don't have the money that they have to have to pay, a lot their, to pay off their guaranteed pensions or anything else they got to do. They're poorly run states and poorly run cities, and, and Palauzi and, and Schumer wanted money for that, 
for those bailouts. And Trump said, no, my interest is the American people, not these poorly run cities and poorly run governors. These states and these de- these Democrat run cities and Democrat run states, they made bad decisions in the past. They ran their cities into the ground with their unfunded mandates. And now they're going to pay the piper with unfunded mandates. As a government, we're not going to continue to fund their mandates. And I think that's delicious. And that's the fact of the day, folks. I think we del- we have unpacked all of this today with a punch. I truly appreciate everybody for being here today. Uh, it's truly a, a blessing to hear that we are being listened to by so many of you that you tune in every week. And, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, to me, it's you guys all, everyone tunes in for this action packed discussion because they know that we uncover details and expose hidden facts of all the initiatives being supported by these lawmakers. And I believe that we've done that today. So thank you for being with us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week on the point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.